0: Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Oh my god! Thank
1: you so much. For the best
0: performance by an actress in a supporting role, the nominees are... Ingrid Bergman in Murder on the Orient Express. Valentina Corteza in Day for Night. Madeline Kahn in Blazing Saddles. Diane Ladd in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Talia Shire in The Godfather Part Two. And the winner is, the winner is Ingrid Bergman in The Murder on the Orient Express. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we'll be discussing the 1975 Oscar win for Best Supporting Actress for Ingrid Bergman. That was her third Oscar. And today I am joined uh, by, with Dan Dillabeau. Uh He is a writer for television. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Well, I'm excited because you are one of the few people that um likes to talk about movies as much as I do, so I'm really glad that I could, you know, finally get you on here. And uh, I am sorry that I forgot that we were doing Ingrid Bergman.
1: <laughs> oh, sure. I I also I suggested this uh when we were both drunk and then forgot which year we were doing. So I <laughs> I just started watching the movies and then was like, oh, it's it's this one, right? Totally, because so, I remember you, you said Yeah,
0: you were like, I just finished Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express and she's like barely in it and I was like, that's random and then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, why would he be saying that? I think Kyle, you need to reflect. <laughs> you need to hydrate and you need to understand why he's saying. It. And I was like, oh right. Uh but I'm actually really glad that you did suggest this one just because I find that whenever people whenever I suggest like um an episode they generally pick like a lead actress category and i kind of have to like force people to do a supporting and i love that you picked a supporting and i love that you picked ingrid bergman because quite frankly i'm not actually as familiar with her work i've only other movie that i've seen her in was casablanca
1: yeah same here and uh, that's why i was kind of interested interested to see what else she had done uh, this was her third oscar i guess weirdly she did not win or even was nominated for an oscar for Casablanca which I think for most people that's like the main thing that they know her from
0: well exactly because she had this was her third Oscar her first was gaslight which we are all using that term uh, to talk about you know um, people's bad behavior and emotionally abusive behavior now in 2020 which is crazy Mm -hmm. because that term was essentially invented in the 40s and it's like now it's like gaslighting is like a thing that we're all talking about which is great but I just what I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that like (laughs) it really took that long for us to like really start introducing it into the vocabulary of society because it's a crazy behavior. But again, I think it was like 1944 or 1945 or something like that, that she won for Gaslight. And then her second one was Anastasia at the like, I think mid to late fifties. And Mm -hmm. uh, those were both leads, but then this was her only supporting win.
1: Yeah, and then she kind of, I think, like took a little bit of a break from films for a while. This was her first movie after a break, and I wonder if that maybe had something mm-hmm. to do with her winning, because she was such like an icon at this point, sort mm-hmm. of returning to the screen. Oh, oh, we will jump right into that, because frankly, I actually had
0: a lot of opinions about these nominees. So you have Ingrid Bergman, you have Tyler Shire, you have Madeline Kahn, you have Diane Land, and you have Valentina Court. Cortese? Let's Cortese. Say Cortese? Cortese. Cortese. Um, and every single one of these actresses is like really amazing in their own right. But the one common theme that I noticed with all of these films this year was it was like a five to 10 minute screen time buried in like two and a half hours of film time. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, there're a lot of blink and you miss it performances. I, which is interesting because I think this was, 1974 was the year that all these movies came out, which I think is a really phenomenal year for movies in general. Like there are four mm-hmm. or five just stone cold classics mm-hmm. that came out this year. Uh, and yet, yeah, it's kind of a, a a weak year overall for supporting female roles, I guess. And I think maybe just because like in more recent times with this category with the supporting actress, we're more used to like this kind of category fraud thing where someone is like a quote unquote mm-hmm. supporting Actress but they're in it for the whole thing And they have a ton of screen time mm. um, But yeah these I were like it. if you went to the Bathroom at the wrong time you would miss all Of Ingrid Bergman <laughs> in Murder on <in> the <laughs> Express
0: I love 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 That you said that because I literally Wrote down in my notes the exact same thing Where I'm like I think that this really spoke to how the roles for women at this time in history even if you are like a hollywood legend such as ingrid bergman it's like the roles just aren't there for um mature women or they're just like really one-dimensional or it's like you're a wife or you're a maid or you're you know what i mean it's always very like limiting and um i find i find that really really sad because frankly and I've, i've talked about this on the podcast before it's getting better for women in Hollywood. It's getting better, but it's still really not there. And it's so frustrating to watch these movies and see these powerhouse actors. And you're like, I know that you're capable of so much more. I mean, you're doing a great job, obviously, but it's like, you could do so much more. Again, these are Hollywood legends. So it just kind of, I don't know, like irked me a little bit like when I'm watching it, because holy crap, like Albert Albert, um, Finney had eight, or nine pages of dialogue, just one monologue when you're watching Murder on the Order Express. It's like, could we maybe have trimmed that down like a hot, like 10 minutes and then give <laughs> some more lines to some of the more female cast? Like, it, it was a bit exhausting to watch him. Impressive, I will admit, but like a little bit
1: exhausting. Totally. Um, you definitely see that uh, in the in the Best Picture lineup this year too, which are like all, you know, all great movies, but it's a very mm-hmm. male heavy lineup.
0: Absolutely. Had you seen had you seen The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 before?
1: I had. I'd seen them in high school. That was one of the reasons I I picked this year, just because I wanted an excuse to uh, revisit Godfather Part 2. Uh yeah, it's really great. That's I, my uncontroversial take.
0: Yeah, I'm sure, but I talking about The Godfather, so um I feel like this is this is like just um sacrilegious And I can just hear all the gays hissing when I say this, but literally, The Godfather, like the first one, I found that movie so boring. It is not my kind of movie. I mean, obviously, um, uh, uh, Marlon Brando, like the most iconic, like absolutely, like the acting, amazing. Uh, The story, it's so well-written and it's so well-directed. All of those things are fine. All of those things are true, but I can also find it boring because I just did not care for that movie. So whenever I saw that I had to watch The Godfather Part 2, I was like, oh God, I have to watch this movie. It's just, it's not my kind of movie. I actually loved it. The sequel. I loved the sequel.
1: Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get caught up in. It is like, and this word gets overused a lot, but it's an epic in the truest sense of a word. Just like the Mm -hmm. the scope and the scale of it. And uh, yeah. And Robert De
0: Niro was my Mm -hmm. favorite part i love watching him play like the young like marlon brando essentially
1: totally totally and it's such i mean what a like daunting thing that must have been to like step into you know marlon brando's shoes because that's like you know one of the most Mm -hmm. iconic intimidating yeah performances ever and he really you know he captures the voice very well and just makes it totally his own in a very interesting way i think he did he won the the supporting actor this year right
0: yes he did he won for uh best supporting actor uh, best actor went to art carney and the best actress wow. went to ellen burston for alice doesn't live here anymore and i'm really glad that we i got to revisit alice doesn't live here anymore because i saw this movie for the first time like eight years ago and it was on one of those like i had like a movie channel where it was like throwback movies and i watched it and i just kind of was like I just I didn't connect with it or something like I didn't really get it, but I watched it. This movie is so funny, and I didn't notice that before.
1: Yeah, it rules. It's very very funny, very charming. Um, I would not have if I hadn't known it was a Scorsese movie. I would not have expected that. It's a totally mm-hmm. different side of him. Um, what was the I I didn't what was the Art Carney one? The, the best actor. Uh-oh.
0: Oh, I've never I honestly I have never even heard I haven't even heard of this movie. Um crap. What is it? I'm actually gonna look it up because it's gonna bother me. Oh, but like yeah, the Art Crack kind of One. Tonto? That's it. That's that's the that's the movie, yes. Um okay. I should know that, but I just I don't know. I, I like to give attention to the girls, not the guys. <laughs> okay. Totally fair.
1: Uh, um, one other thing I, I found kind of interesting about this year in film, I, I'm always fascinated by like when a director has a really when a, when a director puts out like two incredible films in one year and i think uh you know an example of the famous example of this is in 1993 steven spielberg released jurassic park and schindler's list uh mm-hmm. in, in calendar year which is like just an incredible run uh mm-hmm. and there were a couple of those this year uh so francis ford coppola had obviously the godfather part two was like the big Film of the year. He also released mm-hmm. *The Conversation*, uh, also in 1974, which is an incredible back-to-back uh, year for him. And also, Mel Brooks had two in the same year as well, with *Blazing Saddles* and uh, *Young Frankenstein*.
0: Blazing Saddles. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Just because of like what's going on socially in the world, that was maybe a little bit of a difficult movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Why? Wow, what's but, going on?
1: Is there something going
0: on? Yeah, right. What's happening? Um, but talking about um, talking about uh, these uh, this for this year I, before, because you had mentioned that you know it, it was a very male dominated uh, type of tone to like what was being celebrated in film. I actually completely agree with you and I do find that disappointing but um if it's okay so do you want to just jump into do you want to just jump right into our nominees here
1: yes i love it uh,
0: okay so let's just go into the godfather part 2 and talk about Talia Shire who is actually mm-hmm. Coppola's sister in real
1: life oh okay a little bit of a little bit of nepotism happened in the Coppola family <laughs> I will say that, that whole against family the... is like like show business dynasty though right well I mean like obviously Sophia Coppola is a very accomplished film director in her own right uh but like Jason Schwartzman I think is is connected to the Coppolas somehow oh like yeah every Coppola is is in Hollywood
0: oh that's it's like the Barrymores they're like all over the place yeah um yeah, yeah. but Talia Shire okay so again another like five to ten minute performance buried in like a three and a half hour movie and um you know first impression of her she comes into the movie she kind of is like seems like a bit of a spoiled person leaving Mm -hmm. her husband uh she wants more money so that she can get married to her new husband and she basically can't do anything uh without her brother's permission and that was sort of her introduction into the movie and then, and then she disappears for like
1: two hours.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then I just kind of was like, is she coming back? Because I'm waiting for Tal. like I'm watching this for Talia Shire. And um, I mean, Robert De Niro had a supporting role and he had like a huge chunk of of screen time. And and I, his part was so interesting. It was the most interesting part of the movie, in my opinion. So with Talia Shire being nominated, it just kind of was like, really? But what I think it ultimately came down to is um, whenever she, because, okay, so I was reading that Talia Shire told Francis Coppola to write in that, um, oh my God, I'm like blanking on her name. She, I fucking ran into her in LA. Well, I didn't run into her, but like I saw her at a Starbucks. Um, it, 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 Oh my God, Annie Hall, you know who I'm talking about. Um uh, Who, sorry? Uh, Diane Keaton. Yes. Yes. Diane Keaton. Okay. So Diane Keaton's character. So um, originally it was supposed to be scripted that she did have a miscarriage. It was supposed to be a miscarriage, but then Mm -hmm. Talia Shire was the one that actually suggested a rewrite to say that it was an abortion because then that way um, he, Michael would not be able to forgive her. And it was a lot more impactful and a lot more unforgiving of, of, of her character to do that. And as a result of that, Coppola wrote the scene where she comes in like, um, what was you know, because at the end it's like she's kind of like begging for his forgiveness and saying that she wants to come back and stuff like that, and, and has that big like emotional scene when she asks the kids to leave. And mm-hmm. I think it was because of that moment that she received the nomination for the academy award but i have to say i find it kind of frustrating when somebody gives like a five to ten minute performance and they get nominated over somebody that like i don't know had 45 minutes or an hour because it's like well yeah you have more of an opportunity to like really shine in five to ten minutes it's like it's more difficult if you have to like carry 45 minutes of screen time i don't know how i feel about her nomination i guess is what i'm trying to say
1: totally and it's funny that you first of all i think you're maybe the only person in history to say, I watched The Godfather only for Talia Shire. Yeah, Um, (laughs) exactly. But it's funny that you brought up Diane Keaton because if you had told me, you know, someone from this movie was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, I would have thought for sure it would be her. Just based on that one scene that you mentioned where she comes in and says, and Michael is under the impression that she has had a miscarriage and Mm -hmm. she snaps and she says, no, I had an abortion because I don't want to bring any more of your children into the world. And it's a it's like a big powerhouse, like capital A acting scene Uh and that to me for sure was like, oh, this is, you know, this is the Oscar bait. This is. And so it's interesting to me that 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 was kind of overlooked in favor of this, you know, more subtle performance. Uh And I guess particularly the scene later on um, at their at their mother's funeral where Talia Shire basically like convinces Michael to forgive Fredo. Um, mm-hmm. which is like a, a much more like understated, underplayed scene, but it's very powerful in its own right. And I guess that was the, you know, people gravitated more towards that, which is interesting. Cause I feel like a lot of the times the Oscar viewers are like, it's kind of magpie, like shiny object. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the abortion scene went uh, unremarked on,
0: you know, that's interesting that you say that because i i wrote I wrote down a similar thing, and I kind of was just like, if any of the, you know, the female performances in this film should have been nominated. And actually, if you even do kind of compare them to all of the performances that were that were nominated this year for Best Supporting Actress, I agree with you. I actually felt like Diane Keaton um, could easily have been nominated and and probably should have been nominated over a lot of these nominees because. Um, I just really didn't feel like a lot of these performances truly deserved Hollywood's highest honor, in my opinion. I'm not saying that they were bad. I'm just saying that they weren't necessarily like remarkable. So, for example, like Ellen Burson winning um, for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Absolutely. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. I thought she was so funny. She was a very flawed character. She was super indecisive. It was just perfect. And also, you're right, because you were talking about Martin Scorsese, um directing that movie it's like you wouldn't have realized but i mean he also did like the age of innocence so he kind of like goes into like weird genres and stuff like that but the point that i'm trying to make is that you can watch an actor and see how well that they can perform um and honestly like i just like again like with sort of talia shire it's like i feel like she kind of got caught up in the hype of the film and was nominated for for that, but I agree with you. I think that um, Diane Keaton truly outshone her in this movie.
1: Totally. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I feel like, I feel like you still see this happening today. Like when there's a movie that like the Godfather Part two, that very clearly this was the movie of the year. This was the Oscar darling and everyone involved got a nomination. You know, I think in the supporting actor category, it got like three nominations and so mm-hmm. she was kind of the beneficiary of that, and she kind of swept in on a on a tide of goodwill towards the film. Not to say that it, mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, that she's not incredible in it, which she is. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah she she um, if if the Godfather Part Two hadn't been the, the the hit that it was, she I don't think she would have made the cut.
0: I I fully agree with you. Also, side note, just watching um just watching The Godfather Part 2, I noticed that Robert Duvall was like barely in it, but I'm pretty sure that he was like nominated for The Godfather. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like to to do like a sequel and then like suddenly your character that was like nominated for an Oscar is like kind of barely in the movie. It's a weird follow-up.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Um well, Talia Shire went on to be w- nominated for another Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role for Rocky. And then after right, that, she, yeah, she kind of got nominated for a lot of Razzies in the 80s for like oh, Worst no. Actress and stuff like that. Yeah, and then she kind of just... Um, She kind of just disappeared. But I do think that that is just because, again, like the roles for women uh, in Hollywood at that time and still a little bit now are kind of limited and the characters often aren't very three-dimensional and they're often like the neglected housewife or the mom or the maid or the babysitter. Like it's always just very, it's disappointing. Um, But no, I agree. So Talia Shire, good job, but maybe Diane Keaton. And... (laughs) Uh, if you're good we can move on to our next nominee. I'm all good. Okay, so I we were just talking about Blazing Saddles. Let's get into some Madeline Kahn for Blazing Saddles.
1: So the Now first, I know you're a huge Madeline Kahn aficionado.
0: I love 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 her. I love the subtlety of her comedic acting just because first of all, like comedic acting is I think harder than dramatic acting. Um and it's one of those things that's like, you can either do it or you can't. And I, I have so much respect for anybody that can do it and she can do it. And I love how she can do it in such a subtle, simple way, but it's hilarious. Um, for example, I think I've watched the movie clue like 200,000 times. Like I can recite that movie from start to finish. And <laughs> she is the standout for me. So I was really excited to see her, in this. I have never seen Blazing Saddles before. I- um, Uh, What did you
1: think, uh, watching it in 2020?
0: Yeah, so I had my windows open, and Mm -hmm. I was like, blasting the TV. And you know, I live in an apartment building. And if somebody's on their balcony, they could probably hear what I'm listening to. And the first line of the movie is like, hey, can you sing that N-word song? And I was like, oh my god. And it was just like, so many n-words i literally was like i had to close the windows <laughs> i was like i'm gonna turn this down and i'm just like i really um found a lot of the movie to be cringy and um i was actually i was talking to um a comedian friend of mine <laughs> that you may or may not know named ryan dylan mm-hmm. and he was basically talking about the significance of this movie and how you know it was inducted into like the like hall of fame for movies that were like culturally significant and relevant and how they were really doing something satirical with like race relations. And okay. Like if that is the case, then I understand that. And I understand that that is satirical, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it like ages well.
1: Yeah. That's the thing that if you are, uh, you know, no matter what decade you're making, movies, and if you're a white guy who's deciding to make a, a satire about race in America, like you have to be aware that at least some of it is just going to age like milk. Um, and well, yeah, what's interesting yeah. <laughs> is obviously you would not be able to get away with making this movie in this exact way in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there is a, a, a conversation to be had about whether or not the, the satire in this has any validity. Um, one thing I... I kind of got nostalgic rewatching it just for this kind of movie in general, just this kind of mm-hmm. big broad, like very silly studio comedy with like a paper thin plot. That's basically just kind <laughs> of a, an excuse to have a lot of gags. Yeah. Uh, I feel like like this, scary movie, like scary movie. Exactly. Or like I, the last one I can think of was like anchorman Two. Maybe I feel like this kind of movie does yeah. not exist anymore. And, and, you know, even if, it, if one did, come out today i feel like the thought of it getting oscar nominations is crazy to me like can you imagine get someone 100%. getting an oscar nomination for you know like yeah anchorman or, or austin powers
0: 100 and um what i loved about um madeline Con- okay well first of all right out the gate madeline Kahn for me was the saving grace of this movie because i found it so cringy and difficult to watch but then whenever she kind of just like comes into it and she has that like silly accent and she talks like this it's like it you know it, again it's light it's silly it's stupid but she always does it in like a really fun way where she gives the character a lot of integrity even though realistically what you're watching is just kind of silly and stupid but her character um lily von,
1: Sto- lily von stoop yeah and she's she sort of german seductress in this in this western town
0: well, she was supposed to be a parody of Marlene Dietrich. Uh, Dietrich and um, mm, okay. th- that was kind of what her character was based on. And she wanted this role so badly um, that she was actually working on a film. Uh, oh, I wrote it down here. Uh, she was fired from MAME or Mammy, uh in 1974. And uh, Lucille Ball was, I guess, part of this film. And she actually thought that Madeline Kahn got herself fired on purpose so that she could play the role of Lily von Stupp because she wanted to play this so badly.
1: Interesting, I guess she had like a, a working relationship with um, with Mel Brooks already, I think she's been in a, a bunch of his other films. Also, I, I've heard of uh, Blazing Saddles and I have not heard of that other movie, so I think she made the right call.
0: Absolutely, I mean, it did lead to an Oscar nomination, but this, I, I can't remember if it was back to back or if there was a year apart, but her first Academy Award nomination was for a supporting role in Paper Moon, And then Mm -hmm. this was her second. I feel like it may have been, I feel like it may have been back to back, but um,
1: yeah, what a great um, run for her in the early seventies.
0: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I just have to say there was a quote from the screenwriter for this movie uh, and Andrew Bergman, he said, um, quote, you couldn't make this movie today because you can't say the N word in a movie today. (laughs) <laughs> not even in a comic way. And it's like totally Andrew Bergman because it was totally okay to say that before, like it's I mine. think
1: uh you Andrew Bergman probably can't say the N word. I'm there's still uh, great uh satires about race in America being made all the time um by, you know, black filmmakers, which is correct, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this. Like she she kind of shows up halfway through and kind of big showcase scene is this like cabaret show that she does in the town and she just yeah. comes out in this like burlesque outfit and then just her whole song is about uh how exhausted she is from just having sex with everyone in the town yeah. <laughs> it's very it's like a genuinely very funny set piece
0: i totally agree with you and i i see a lot of um you know growing up watching a lot of comedy from like the eighties and the nineties, it's like, I really feel like Madeleine Kong was a big influence for a lot of comedic actors because she kind of just did it in a very simple way that was completely effective. And, um, I don't even know why, but she just kind of reminds me of Gilda Radner for some reason, like in mm. just certain moments. I don't know why, but for some reason I just kind of made, I I sort of made that connection, but, um, again, and and this is kind of going back to the same thing with, with Talia Shire, you know, Madeline Kahn, she's in the movie, but she's not really in the movie for like that long, like she has some scenes. And um, every time she showed up for me, it was like an instant relief. And I was like, Oh, my God, she's so funny. I can't wait to like, see what she's gonna do. And I also feel like this is the kind of role that like an amateur actress could have easily like fucked up, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that she knocked it out of the park, and I'm so I always love whenever a comedic role gets an Academy Award nomination. But really, for me, I, I think the one scene that really stood out to me was that song about being exhausted about having sex so much. But otherwise, just watching this movie in 2020, it was just kind of really cringy, and I don't really know if it's something that I would if that I would like to return to. But I'm glad that I did get to watch it because I do love Madeline Kahn.
1: For sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot that has, has, is, is outdated about it. There's a, there are also a lot of like the, this the stuff that really jumps out to me is just the the silliness of the, there's, uh, so many visual gags that are really great. Just like the, you know, when he's, when the guy's on the hangman about to be hung and he's riding his horse and the horse also has a noose around its neck yeah. and like the whole <laughs> scene at the end where they like break the fourth wall and go into all the other various film sets and they're still fighting i mean yeah it's just very kind of joyful and infectious um and yeah she's really great in it i i it didn't even occur to me until just revisiting it this week but it's blazing saddles has like almost the same plot as the producers which came out uh, like a decade earlier i think but the the producers Lane. Yeah, there was a remake uh, recently with, with Nathan Lane and I think Matthew Broderick. But um, yeah, the original was a Mel Brooks film from the 60s with Gene Wilder. Oh. And the whole premise is like uh, these Broadway producers are going to, uh, they decide to make a Broadway show that's so bad that if it loses money that they will actually, you know, gain money from the insurance or whatever it is. And so they set out to make the most offensive musical of all time. And it becomes this sort of mm-hmm. Hitler musical. And similarly, in *Blazing Saddles*, the whole inciting incident is a plot to, like, okay, well, we need to clear all these people out of this town so we can build on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what's the what's the most offensive thing we can think of? And this, right. this corrupt governor decides that, oh, we're going to appoint a, a black sheriff in the Old West. Um, so yeah, that this was sort of a, a very classically Mel Brooks setup style, sort of right. Like the what's the most offensive? premise possible he was he was the sort of shock comic of of his day basically
0: well the main character the sheriff uh i believe that that character was actually suggested to mel brooks by the comedian richard pryor
1: mm-hmm. and he co- richard pryor uh co-wrote this film i believe oh did
0: he oh well okay i did i did
1: not did he are you sure yeah this was i think there were a few writers on this one i think he had like a little mm-hmm. writer's room set up and I remember reading somewhere that they, Richard Pryor was supposed to play the lead, but oh. because he had such a tumultuous history with, with drugs and everything that the studio would not ensure the movie with him in it. So they, ah. so he remained as a writer, but they cast uh, a different actor to play the lead.
0: That would have been interesting if he would have been in that. I, I'd mm. be curious to watch that actually. Um, and also I do believe that this screenplay was nominated for the BAFTA Ah, uh, for best original screenplay, it did not win, but it was Andrew Bergman that was that was nominated for this. So I'm sure that he probably was hoping for some kind of an Academy Award nomination. But you said that Young Frankenstein had al- was also released in this year. Wasn't Young Frankenstein nominated for
1: something? Oh, maybe. Let me check. I, I think uh...
0: I, I think it picked up a couple. I think it picked up a couple nominations. Young Frankenstein
1: and, was nominated for best adapted screenplay. Yeah, look at that.
0: And I think Madeline Kahn was in that too.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah she was. So she was what a great year.
0: Yeah, she was. She was doing. She was doing well. Um,
1: Can I share? This? I just uh, love her. She's really wonderful. Can I share an anecdote from the the Blazing Saddles Wikipedia page?
0: Yes, uh, absolutely.
1: Uh, it says Madeline Kahn objected when Brooks asked to see her legs during her audition. She said, mm-hmm. "So it's that kind of an audition." Brooks recalled, "I explained that I was a happily married man and that I needed someone who could straddle a chair with her legs like Marlene Dietrich in Destry Rides Again." So she lifted her skirt and said, no touching. Isn't that wild? He fucking cast and coached her for this movie.
0: Oh, 100%. I, you know, the only thing that I will say though, because yes, that is fucked up. I 100% agree with you. But at the same time, like she's also playing a sex worker that is going to have to do that for the role. So it's like, they need to see you do that.
1: Yeah. But again, uh, this goes not, back not to using how- this. i this. I think we should cancel Mel Brooks. I think it's fine. <laughs> is he still living- I believe so. Oh.
0: You know, I remember another thing that I thought about too whenever I was watching the movie was like, you know, you had the old grouchy racist grandma and then the other woman was that like, I don't even know, was she like a prostitute? Or she had that like red, like lingerie outfit on and like he kept hiding her behind the curtains. And it was like all of the women in the movie were either like prostitutes or like, racist it, it was just like it was it was just very limited i, I guess and again it just goes back to like the rules for women at this time um because like myself personally like i go on acting auditions but i wouldn't really say i'm an actor i'm a comedian and i've always been a comedian um but you know i don't know if if as a as a gay person if somebody was like we need you to be the most offensive stereotype in the world and believe me i have gone on those auditions where like my only line was girl you know and i hate myself for it because i'm like oh my god this is so reductive but then at the same time if you're an actor especially in the 70s and you're a woman it's like you kind of don't really have a choice it's like well it's either this or nothing and i think that kind of sucks like i don't even know if i'd be willing to take on a role like that you know to be a sex worker, I mean.
1: Totally. Yeah, this this feels like this is it's pretty gross to to read an anecdote like that and I feel like, you know, I, there, it's probably pretty benign within the 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 horrifying stuff that actually does happen mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And I was just thinking about this cuz I I just finished reading that um, that Ronan Farrow book about Harvey Weinstein and just reading all these like oh, yeah. horrifying stories about you know, uh, uh, someone he would cast an actress in a movie and try and uh, try and sleep with them, and if they refused, then mm-hmm. he would have them like basically blackballed from the industry. And it's so, like, I kind yeah. of know that this stuff happened, but it, reading that book kind of really like drilled it into me, like, oh shit, this is really endemic. And so now, you know, we were talking yeah. about. Talia Shire earlier. I don't know if this is the case, but anytime you hear about an actress who was really taking off in their career and then suddenly went away, now I'm I get really nervous about like, oh god, I hope that they're okay. You know, like right, absolutely to bring down the podcast. Yeah,
0: (laughs) we we keep it real on this podcast, absolutely. And and you're right, it is a very troubling thing where you just kind of go back and you're just like, yikes. Mm -hmm. Like, what are the things that we don't know? Totally. Because, well, what, who was it? I was watching um, Jeffrey Epstein. He was friends with Harvey Weinstein. And you're just like, oh, like, what were you guys all doing? Like, I don't. And then when you really yeah, think about it. Like Trump you're
1: thinking, and Clinton and all those guys. They were all just, tight. It, so, well,
0: anyway, anyway, um, congratulations, Madeline Kahn, on your Academy Award nomination. And um, deserved. she 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 died quite young, actually, I think, of, of cancer, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but if I was, if uh, watching Blazing Saddles in 2020, if I was like a, like a reviewer, I'd be like, my article would just be, I'd be like, New York Times hails, yikes, for Blazing Saddles. <laughs>
1: then you um, going,
0: yeah, Ugh. Um, but if you're good, uh, let's talk about our next nominee, Diane Ladd in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore.
1: hmm I really love this movie.
0: Love this movie as well. So Diane Ladd is Laura Dern's mom.
1: Yeah, and Laura Dern, uh, I guess, is has like a cameo in this movie. It's she's mm-hmm. like the little girl at the cafe uh, eating ice cream. Um, yeah, what was and the she, and Laura Dern, Does... is the the one in this category most recently, just last year. So it's that's a little uh, Hollywood coming full circle. I was
0: that's actually really interesting that you said that about because I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, that's great because because um, uh, Diane Ladd was nominated. Three times, each for a supporting role in *Rambling Rose*, *Wild at Heart*, and obviously Alice doesn't live here anymore. She never won, and then Laura Dern um, was nominated for *Wild* for supporting and for *Rambling Rose* with her mom, actually. And that was like the first time in Academy Award history that that had happened.
1: And oh, like a mother and daughter getting nominated in the same year
0: for the same. Yeah, for like the same movie. Yeah, oh, wow. and um and Then what was the she one for uh, Marriage Story, Mm -hmm. which I have to ask, were you able to get through that movie? Because I got in a solid 45 and I had to turn it off. I was super not connecting with it and I did not care for that movie.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I watched the whole thing. Yeah, I really loved it. It's very charming and it's, yeah, I really think it does grow on you because it is too sort of like, did you find that like the the two leads were, were unlikable or what was your bone with it?
0: Um I generally am not a fan of a story about like theater people and like totally you know, unfair. New York like actor scene where Inside it's like everything's showcase. all meta. Yeah, I I'm not I'm not necessarily crazy about those kinds of stories or those kinds of characters, but hey, like I will give anything a try. Like I will give it my attention for as much as I can. But um it's, it, it was a very real performance and I was very well acted, but I just did not connect with it. And I just, truly, I just found it boring. Like simply put, I just found it boring.
1: <laughs> sure. I totally, I'm on the same page with you vis-a-vis uh, movies about show business or like pop culture about show business in general. I feel like there's too much of it. I feel like it can get very sort of self-indulgent. And so that's mm-hmm. why like when a movie like Mary Story, which is is about that, but I just I loved it anyway. That like makes it all the more special because it it really transcends that and just becomes like a yeah just a really great like two hander between these two sort of deeply flawed characters trying to figure out like how to love each other in spite of this all this stuff that's going on. And Laura Dern is really wonderful. She she has a few like really great knockout scenes. I feel like this is just well, becoming the Marriage Story podcast now. <laughs>
0: I need to I need to revisit it. But talking about her mom Diane Ladd, mm-hmm. I feel like her nomination because like she was a fun character. I, I love how she was like the sassy sheriff of the cafe, and yep. she literally like made a joke where she's like if you're going to be grabbing an ass around here it better be mine and it's like oh huh, huh. like she doesn't take sexual harassment seriously because she's like keeping it real she's like yeah. a cool mom When the guy like starts to of,
1: grab her ass he's like you you want to draw back a bloody stub or something like that
0: yeah and like every 5 seconds all the male characters was like can I see a smile to like all the women and it was just like hmm, this movie is troubling but you know i loved her character i thought she was fun but again this is another five to ten minute performance buried in two hours of film and she okay the one scene that i loved was when she like took her to the bathroom and she was like you know um ellen burston's character was just like crying her fucking face off and she was like making jokes and like being there for her and like i i I lo- I you know in terms of like a performance i l- I really liked it, but honestly, I think I just kind of loved the character like she seemed like a fun character that I'm like I could totally see myself being friends with.
1: Totally. She's very quippy. this is another there are a couple of those uh, this year. they're just like pretty on, for the most part, this was like a comedic performance and she is mm-hmm. just kind of like as soon as she shows up, she's just throwing out quips. Yeah she has this whole like double act w- with the line cook where he's like always making these lewd comments and she clearly doesn't want to fuck him, but it's played. is very funny. And then she has that whole thing where, um, they're, where they're trying to find the other waitress because it's so packed. And, and, and Ellen Burstyn's <laughs> yeah. like, well, where is she? And Diane Light screams like, what's it like she went to shit and the hogs ate her. And it's yeah. like, it's just a very funny, She's very funny in it.
0: I agree. I, I, I loved her character talking about that other waitress though, that was always just like miserable and just constantly suffering. Like Mm -hmm. that to me was really when they, when all the customers like piling all the plates and all the food and she just keeps crying. I'm like, Oh my God. But the part of the movie that like I burst out laughing and, um, it wasn't about Diane Ladd and I feel like we're not talking about her enough, but like just the scene where the kid will not stop telling that stupid story about the gorilla and like the dog. And, and he's like, literally like, he, he like will not let it go. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you the story again. And then she starts crying and she's like, no, that, oh my God. I like burst out laughing at that scene. Cause it was so, so well acted and there was so, cause I've seen this movie before, but, I never noticed how funny it was and how like interesting it was.
1: It is really great. Yeah. Ellen Burstyn certainly is like the big headline here. She's really wonderful. And her relationship with her son, all the scenes in the car are very charming and funny. And then when they're in the hotel room and, and they're like pouring water on each other, it's really great. I know.
0: And I, I wait. So Diane Ladd was Jodie Foster's mom, right?
1: Uh, sure. I buy it.
0: I th- I think I think that's what the relationship was um, and again like you know um I I loved her character um like good for you for being nominated personally again like Diane Keaton could have easily filled that slot but Oh, I mean, over Diane Ladd, because, okay, so Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, it was nominated for a bunch of BAFTAs, and I'm pretty sure that um Diane Ladd had actually won the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress, which is interesting, and another okay. person that was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this movie, do you remember at the beginning of the movie, her, like, best friend-slash-neighbor that, like, gives her the baseball cap?
1: Mm-hmm, and they have, like, a very she- tearful goodbye...
0: Yeah, she was nominated too. And she was in the movie for like literally, literally three or four minutes. Oh, yeah. she was nominated for a BAFTA. And I'm like, what?
1: (laughs) What? Yeah. It's another example of a lot of times uh, I feel like people who are on these nominating bodies and people in show business in general, um, they don't really watch a lot of movies necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like certainly they wouldn't watch like every single movie that came out this year. So a lot of the time, it's like you get to the end of the year, and it's like, okay, well, I've seen like the four or five big ones. Uh, who do I like from those? And so that's what—that's not yeah. why you see people like uh, Lady at the beginning of Alice doesn't live here anymore, mm-hmm. squeaking in. It's more—it's right. more of a tribute to we all love this movie.
0: Exactly, it gets caught up with the hype from the film. I agree with you. Um, and frankly, just talking about Diane Land's performance. Love the character, love the performance, don't really get the nomination, but I mean, that's just my opinion. If you have anything else that you want to add, if you're good, we can move on to the next nominee. Uh,
1: One thing I I thought was interesting is there was a sitcom based on this movie called Alice, which I had never heard of. Um, Just Yeah, just called Alice. Uh, It's basically the same setup of this woman sort of leaves her her abusive, her husband dies and she kind of travels across country with her son and get takes his job at a, as a waitress at a small town cafe. Um, and it was a totally different cast except for Diane Ladd. She played basically the same character. Uh, really? Yeah. And that's, wow. uh, yeah. And, uh, sorry, I'm just looking at Jodie Foster. She repressed. I'm trying to figure out what this connection was. Um, but yeah, that was, I, that was the only it, carryover. And it was, it was like a character loosely based on It wasn't the exact same character. That's
0: that's crazy. And um, I mean, I guess good for her because it's just more work for her. But Mm -hmm. and she was she was she definitely was a standout for me. I I loved her character. I thought she was fun. But yeah, it's just. I don't know. It's just for, again, Hollywood's highest honor, like for that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, she's great. She was also in Chinatown, which was released uh, the same year. I uh, was very good in that, too. I would have liked to see her get a nomination for maybe that movie instead of this one. With Miss Faye Dunaway. mm mm-hmm.
0: Um. Okay. Well, if you are good, we can move on to Valentina Cortese for Day for Night. All good. Great. So um, when Ingrid Bergman won the Academy Award, she basically just spent her entire Academy Award acceptance speech apologizing to Valentina, which <laughs> I think is really funny. And, um, she said that she's like, winning an Oscar is really great and everything like that. She's like, but, um, this was very strange. So in 1974, it was announced that the best foreign language film could be eligible for best picture in 1975. So in 1974 day for night won the Oscar for best foreign language film, but then a year later, After it was released, I guess it got resubmitted because of the new rules. And then Valentina Cortese was nominated. Also, I'm sorry if I'm Mm. saying her name wrong, was nominated for Best Supporting Actress two years after the movie had come out. So Ingrid Bergman was like, I don't understand how the movie won for Best Foreign Language Film. And then you're only being nominated like two years later. She's like, I find that very strange. (laughs) <laughs> and she basically was like i'm so sorry that i won um as she's like you were brilliant in that and then um uh, valentina cortese actually said that having ingrid bergman spend her entire academy acceptance speech saying all of that to her in front of everybody was better than winning
1: totally that's i i love that when uh, when somebody wins an awards and it's very clearly like the, this should not have happened. Like, I, I don't <laughs> know if you remember like Macklemore winning best rap album at the Grammys over like Kendrick Lamar yeah. <laughs> and being like, this does not add up. We all know it. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's interesting that I guess day for night. Yeah. It was first released in, in France, I guess in 1973. And then maybe wasn't released in America until the following year. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it picked up a, a couple nominations aside from um, supporting actress. Uh, Truffaut was also nominated for best director um yeah Mm. i really like this one i'm really glad i watched it uh so this is basically like Truffaut's eight and a half moment kind of he had been this like beloved auteur filmmaker in france for many years and had built up this incredible reputation and now this is Mm. his first movie about the filmmaking process and about making a movie and it definitely makes sense to me that this is the one that really got him a lot of awards attention because i feel like i loved it yeah i love this movie Yeah, I feel like Oscars love movies about movie making, which this is. 100%.
0: And also, uh, Valentina Cortese, she actually has one of the, um, a very rare title of being nominated for Best Supporting Actress for a Foreign Language Film. That basically, like, never happens. And um, it it still even barely happens to this day. I think the last one for Best Supporting Actress for a Foreign Language Film was actually the movie uh, Roma. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I cannot. I right, have to look it up.
1: Roma.
0: Yeah, she got nominated, and and Marina you know, Marina
1: prior... Pavola, I believe, was her name.
0: I'm, a, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to trust you on that because I, 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 have to look it up. But it, I, I guess I never really thought about that because, generally speaking, um, like, okay, so I did a podcast episode about um, Gwyneth Paltrow, and one of the nominees that year was Fernanda Montenegro for Central Station. And she's from Brazil and she's the only person from Brazil to ever be nominated. And the reality of that is just sort of like generally when a foreign language acting person is nominated, it's almost always the lead. So to have just a supporting character nominated for a foreign language film, um, I feel like your odds of a nomination are so slim. And the fact that she got it, I think really speaks volumes because she won the BAFTA, um, Valentina Cortez, she won the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress, she won the New York Film Critics Circle Award, she won the National Society of Film Critics Award. So it doesn't really surprise me that Ingrid Bergman spent her entire speech being like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have won. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, she was, I, I think she was like sort of a big, uh, like pretty well-known star in Europe. And this is mm-hmm. her like kind of um, big moment uh, sort of uh, Oscars-wise. Um, yeah i was i found it interesting that like yeah because in my head um international films getting nominated for oscars outside of just the foreign language community was like uh, the category was pretty rare but Mm -hmm. uh, it's just interesting to go back and see like oh these were these were getting recognition in the 70s you know these great sort of these filmmakers that we now know as like the sort of great Artists of, of the medium, like you know, these guys like Truffaut and Kurosawa and Bergman, they were kind of getting, at least, nominated uh, in their day. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, usually it is like the nomination is the award, really. I don't think she had a shot at 100%. winning just because mm-hmm. she she didn't have the the name recognition stateside. But it is very cool that she's absolutely into this
0: category. I think that my funny, the funniest part. Uh, of course. Well, first of all, I just fell in love with her character because you could Severine. see how uh, Severina. yeah. I love how she was just so flawed and and but she had such a great like she was just trying to keep it together. You know, she's like an aging actress that's past her prime and she clearly has like a major drinking problem. And I'm like, oh my god, I can totally relate. And whenever she <laughs> is like, like
1: Sunset Boulevard vibes from her character, sort of Norma Desmond. Totally. Gloria Swanson it... vibes,
0: absolutely.
1: the the starlet who's sort of like past her prime and is kind of like trying to struggling with maybe her, her age and, and dwindling relevance. And yeah, that one scene where she, she also has like one kind of big showstopper scene where she's like trying to nail this one scene in this movie within a movie that they're making. And she just can't quite get it. She keeps fumbling her lines and, She's She keeps, like, opening the wrong door and going into the closet. <laughs> yes. At one point, she says, like, um, you know, I have to, like, write my my lines on pieces of paper and stick them around the set. At one point, she wants to say everything in numbers. She has a line, like, oh, I should say them in numbers, like I do with Federico, which I think is, like, a little Easter egg reference to Federico Fellini, who I think she actually did a movie with Fellini. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, but, yeah, that whole scene where she's basically just trying to nail this one scene and having a, a breakdown was like very, very funny and, and very sad at the same time.
0: I agree with you. And my favorite was whenever she goes, when she finally is about to select the correct door to go through, mm. and then she screws it up again and then goes through the wrong door. I mean, it was like heartbreaking, but also funny at the same time. And um, when Ingrid Berman was like doing her whole Oscar thing, She's literally like, honestly, girl, she's like, I have been, we have all been an <laughs> And she's like, I just, yeah. She's like, I thought that, I thought your performance was flawless and I and the, I loved it.
1: The makeup girl comes in, they, they've they like recruited the makeup girl to be uh, an extra in the movie. It's <laughs> a yes. maid and she shows up at the door and and that really throws her for a loop because she's like, wait, you were doing my makeup earlier and now you're in the shot and this doesn't make sense. And it's, <laughs> oh, like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. rough.
0: It is really really rough, and um, it her character just seemed very real to me. Like she seemed like a person that existed, and um, you know, generally speaking, like I, I don't really watch a lot of um French film. I actually watched Leviango was like literally last week, but before that, I don't often watch a lot of French movies. Um, and even considering for, because storytelling and the pacing is very different in the 1970s when it comes to movies and the style. Um, I loved this movie. Like it's kind of not really my kind of movie, but like I loved this movie from start from start to finish. I thought it was very engaging and interesting, and I loved seeing um Jacqueline Bisset, who mm-hmm. uh, finally won her Golden Globe in two thousand fourteen and took like fourteen years to come to the stage, and she just I I, I find that very very funny and. It was it was interesting to to watch this movie. I I really liked it a lot, and for sure, um, for sure, Valentina Cortese was an absolute standout.
1: Total standout for sure. Yeah, I definitely I, I feel like a lot of these French New Wave movies and like Truffaut in particular. I think he kind of has like a reputation for you know being challenging or very artsy fartsy or whatever. But, I mean, you can tell by watching this, like, it's very fun. It clips along. The pacing is great. There's, like, Mm -hmm. anybody can, like, connect with these jokes and these characters. Like, it it is very accessible. I think this was probably one of his more accessible films.
0: I agree. I totally agree. Um, If you are good, uh, we can move on to our final nominee and winner. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So let's talk about Ingrid Bergman for Murder on the Orient Express. Okay, out the gate, I will say that Murder on the Orient Express, in my opinion, was probably, like, the most entertaining movie of the bunch, because I love a good murder mystery. Like I said, I love the movie Clue. I realize that's not (laughs) exactly comparable, but, you know, murder mystery, and they had little bits of comedy here and there, and um, I love being like, ooh, like, who did it, and how did it work, and, you know, um, I I love a, a, yeah, like, I love a good murder mystery, and, um... I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Again, this comes down to Ingrid Bergman's one scene that basically won her the Oscar. Again, like 5-6 minutes of screen time. It was good. It was good. Um but again, I just, you know, I I don't I don't love that somebody can win an Oscar for like barely being in a movie. It is yeah. Is yep. what I'm, that should be the theme of this episode. It's just, it's just, I don't love how somebody can win an Oscar for barely doing anything.
1: That is this category in this year in a nutshell. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I, I did like this movie. Um, I'm generally not a huge fan of of the kind of whodunit genre necessarily. Um, I just find, uh, that, you know, and this movie kind of has this a little bit where it's very procedural in nature. There's there's less of a human element. It's just like this guy, here's this this genius. Uh, detective Hercule Poirot which by the way I do think it's very funny that in the reality of of this movie that there is a detective that is so good at solving crimes that he has become world famous and everybody recognizes him immediately um but yeah the whole movie is him just like this this crime happens on this on this train journey and he just interviews everyone on the train and processes all this information and then solves it immediately
0: Easily, too. And it's so funny because it's literally like Albert Finney as like Gomez Adams. Like he's got that slicked black hair. And I honestly, I did not recognize him at all. And
1: um, it's very funny that he did not win an Oscar for this because the whole movie is a showcase for him. And it's just two hours of him chewing the scenery. And so for the only acting Oscar to go to someone who just rolled in for five minutes and just ate his lunch is very funny.
0: I do think that that sometimes is the way that you kind of have to think about it, about the way that they select who is nominated and who wins, because um, it's like the movie, um, it's like the movie All About Eve and, um, oh my god, the guy who was like the narrator for the movie uh, was the only person that walked away with an acting Oscar. uh, I don't even remember who that was. And you're, I actually, I have it written down here somewhere. And not like
1: Betty Davis?
0: Exactly. Not a single person, not Ann Bancroft, not Betty Davis, not anybody except for um, this guy. And, uh, oh my God, I'm like, I feel like there's so many gay men that I'm like offending right now. <laughs> was... I probably could just look it up. But anyway, I will find it. Uh, but what I am just saying is that when you walk away from this movie and then you just say like, the only person that won uh, an accolade for acting was Ingrid Bergman and she was in the movie for five minutes... You just kind of think like
1: something about that sounds wrong. Mm-hmm. Like uh,
0: it so does, that just,
1: about yeah it it just it doesn't sound right, totally. I agree. we should talk about this one scene that she's in, so it basically the whole like middle hour of the movie is just he's interviewing all these uh passengers to try and figure out who was responsible for this murder, and they're all very these sort of like big uh you know aristocratic. Uh, rich people, and um, it's like a, it's a parade of stars too. It's like a, this is a huge like A-list ensemble cast, um, yes. and then Ingrid Bergman shows up as this sort of very meek um, Swedish missionary, and I think maybe that had something to do with why why she stood out is because she just her energy is very different from all the other passengers. She's a very low status like working class character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she and she talks about you know her. Um, why she was on the train. She, she keeps talking about how she was going, she, she's going to India to like, to look after the little brown babies. Her babies, yes. And uh, I remember that well. And Poirot keeps like giving her a hard time about her English not being very good, which is very funny because Poirot's English is dog shit. Yes.
0: <laughs> and Talking about okay, sorry, I did look it up. It's George Sanders that one for all of audience. Right, right, right. Uh, um, but like you're saying with this movie, because you had you had mentioned this earlier, you said that you know she had taken a break from acting, and when she came back, it's like she came back as you know this Swedish um I guess like caretaker. And I think a lot of people, there's a sense of nostalgia there. And you go, oh yeah, Ingrid Bergman. And like, she came back mm-hmm. and she played a character that was probably out of character for her because she's obviously known for doing these big epic movies and that she's a strong leading lady. And she's, you know, one of the most iconic actresses from like one of Hollywood's greatest time. But here mm-hmm. she is playing this kind of like, not like beaten down, but this kind of like, I don't know if this is the appropriate word, but just kind of this like this sad woman.
1: Yeah, and- definitely against type for her.
0: Yeah, and I think that's because they were like, "Oh, that's Ingrid Bergman," and they were like, "Wow, this is like a really different role for her. Like, she's so brave." And I think like that was probably the narrative of how she she won this Oscar because, um, well, first of all, the 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 scene in question um, where she's being interrogated, so that was apparently one take,
1: and yeah, she did I, that. I think that might have had something to do with what because I feel like people in Hollywood are very aware of the role that editing plays in making them look mm-hmm. good of just like mm-hmm. taking, you know, 20 takes of various quality and sort of cutting them into an amazing looking movie. And so for someone to like nail a 5 minute uninterrupted take, I feel like really that makes people sit up and go, "Oh, she she's got the goods."
0: Absolutely. And I I think that you and I can both agree it's like it was extremely well acted. It was very it was a very great like moment for her character and it was very felt very real if you if you don't know who Ingrid Bergman is and you're watching it it's like you would never think that she was you know one of Hollywood's most iconic actresses because she kind of like really was that person and and um like what I'm trying to say is like she doesn't seem like you know like the glamorous Hollywood star in this kind of role she seems like a Swedish maid that is clearly traumatized by what happened to her
1: hmm and she is she was uh, Swedish in real life, right? Like she Swedish was her first language. Am I remembering that right?
0: She speaks five languages. I know oh that. Uh, oh, oh Actually, I fucking I I wrote down I wrote down uh, because I, I mentioned this to you I didn't know this that Isabella Rossellini is her daughter
1: Yeah, isn't that crazy?
0: I had no idea. And then you're looking, I thought about it. And I'm like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Cause they have very similar bone structure, but that, that never occurred to me. <laughs>
1: yeah. That seems to be a, a theme in this category as well. Like to sort of show business dynasties, showbiz mm-hmm. families.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, if you have anything, do you have anything else that you would like to add?
1: I, um, yeah, we were talking about how, like I, I, I enjoyed this movie in spite of myself because I don't tend to enjoy, uh, this type of movies. Uh, a yeah. lot of it comes down to like the ending. Obviously, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about. The oh yeah. yeah, yeah, Okay, so the the twist, and you you find like there are a lot of these uh, Hercule Poirot stories that Agatha Christie wrote, and it becomes apparent by the end of this one that this is this is why this one has uh, stood the test of time, and people still talk about this one today. Is that everyone on the train was involved in the murder, and everyone stabbed this guy one time? Uh, so that's that's a fun reveal. That's that's yeah. always fun. Uh, and another big part of it was just the, I mean, the direction of of this movie is so phenomenal because it is really all just set inside the a handful of train cars. And it's very hard mm-hmm. to make that look dynamic. Um, it is like a very self-contained chamber piece. And so a lot of credit yeah. is due to Sidney Lumet, the director who is, I think one of the most underrated directors as far as I'm concerned. And,
0: I didn't even really think about that. You're absolutely right, because honestly, that didn't even really occur to me because it is it does feel a little claustrophobic if you think about it, but it it didn't read that way like it because you're right, it really is only in like a few cabins and like little small cramped rooms and stuff like that. But it was engaging and it was it kept my interest. Absolutely. Um, They made a remake for Murder on the Orient Express. They made a remake recently. Um, I'd actually be very curious to watch that. Apparently it, it wasn't very well received, but I think Judy Dench is in it, so I'll watch
1: it. Oh, and like Johnny Depp too, I think.
0: I wanna watch it. I, I love I love murder mystery movies, even though they never really quite I find that the endings are never quite satisfying enough for me, except for um I don't know if you saw Knives Out. Yes. Yes, I really I loved that. That was a satisfying ending for me because it's like, okay, I could kind of see that, where like this particular movie, the nineteen seventy four version of Murder on the Orient, Ex- Murder on the Orient Express, it just kind of has this ridiculous like everyone did it and it was all premeditated and like it it just kind of got a little too ridiculous for me. I that being said, enjoyed this movie very much and I would definitely watch this again. But I I think if I'm watching a murder mystery, I just want there to be like one murderer and it's like oh right I didn't notice I didn't think about that yeah oh like. Kind of thing. And I guess I was a little disappointed with the ending. Totally. That's fair.
1: Yeah. I, I just, I don't really enjoy them uh, in general just because it feels like it, when there's not, when the, when the protagonist, when the detective is kind of like emotionally disengaged, then it just becomes like, well, you know, you're watching interviews and then the crime is solved. It's just like watching someone do a jigsaw puzzle. It's like, okay, I'm glad that you are <laughs> intellectually stimulated by this. Uh, I'm not enjoying myself personally. Uh, But Knives Out is an (laughs) example of one that I did like in spite of myself because it it was, you know, a a whodunit mystery, but also it has a lot of interesting character things to say about, you know, class. And and there was a there was a real protagonist with a journey along Mm -hmm. with the the mystery.
0: No, I agree. Um, Okay, well, if you are ready, we can do our final reveal of who we think should have won for Best Supporting Actress in 1975. I love it. Let's do it. Okay, so I will allow you to go first, so if you will do the honors.
1: Yeah, I think the winner of Best Supporting Actress in 1974 should have been... (laughs) Valentina Cortese. I think she was really, really great. I love that. I think that um, one of the things that really drew me to this performance, it's so, like, it's very funny and very sad, but just, like, the... The way that she portrays being a bad actress is, I think, I think it's very hard to do. In the same way that it's it's hard to play drunk uh, in a movie really well, because when you're when you're drunk, <laughs> you're trying to not seem drunk. And so right. similarly, if you're playing a bad actor, it's very easy to get cartoonish with that. But she, mm-hmm. I think, really nails the the balance between like I am a professionally trained actress who is trying my best, but I am flailing emotionally and trying to keep it together uh it's a very hard balancing act to pull off and i think she really nails it i think she's really charming and funny uh yeah you'd be my pick
0: i uh i love that and you know to be honest with you that's a very very incisive observation because that didn't even really occur to me because you're right and you are trying to act like you're not and there is a fine line of basically like caricature and uh and actually giving like an honest performance, and and that's that didn't even occur to me. I love that. Can I share um, one more
1: anecdote about Day for Night that I forgot to mention earlier?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So I forgot. To, I found this uh, this article on EW about the friendship between uh, Francois Truffaut, who directed Day for Night, and Jean Luc Godard. Uh it described them as the um, the the Lennon and McCartney of French film, which I think is very wow. funny. But yeah, they. Uh, were contemporaries you know they they've uh, started working at Cahiers de cinema around the same time in the 50s which is like this iconic uh french film magazine and then they started directing films in the late 50s early 60s and they really they pioneered this whole french new wave movement and you know they they took off together in like international renown and stature and they kind of grew apart over the course of their careers but um, but they kind of stayed friends and, um, and Godard actually gets a shout out in this movie in day for night when Truffaut who plays the director in the, of the film within the film, uh, there's a scene where he like opens a package of film books of like books about all these famous directors. And it's like,
0: yeah, and
1: Dreyer, and one of them is, is Godard, which is just kind of him giving a little shout out to his buddy, which I thought was very nice. Um, I anyway, love that. Oh, it gets worse so um oh. godard went to a screening of this movie day for night and apparently he walked out because he was like oh. this film is a total lie like it does not represent the process of of making movies at all uh and then Truffaut oh. responded with a like 20 page letter like denouncing godard in the press uh and then they never spoke wow. again
0: <sighs> wow that's so sad wow also like talk about being blinded by your own ego jesus christ like Mm. (laughs) like if uh wow i i can't i can't believe that i mean there is one thing to be dedicated to your craft but like come on that's not
1: much yeah real anyway i just thought it was pointing out that this movie ruined a friendship
0: (laughs) well if that's always the sign of a successful movie is burnt bridges (laughs) Totally. if if somebody's not pissed you're doing something wrong (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say who I thought should have won for best supporting actress. Um, I think that the Oscar should have gone to. <laughs> Valentina Cortese. I, um, think that if somebody like Ingrid Bergman is spending her entire speech being like. I'm I'm going to apologize to you for this moment in front of an entire theater of people (laughs) and being broadcast on TV. I think that that's very indicative of where those votes really should have gone. Because um, as far as I'm concerned, most actors are incredibly narcissistic most performers are i mean i am i'm a comedian i'm very narcissistic so when you're an actor and you're a huge star your ego is probably completely out of control um even if you're hiding it for the camera and for someone of her stature to um just spend her entire acceptance speech being like yeah i probably shouldn't have this i think that that is hilarious and i think that it speaks volumes and um I loved every moment of uh watching Valentina Cortese in this movie. I completely agree with you. I didn't even notice that thing that you were you're so right about the playing drunk and and you're if you're drunk, it's like you're gonna try to not be drunk and that's like a fine line i that hadn't even occurred to me, but for me, what it was was when she um just was always trying to be in a good mood, but you could obviously tell that she was miserable, but she was mm-hmm. really trying her best to constantly be that energetic person that she knows that she can be. And um whenever she kept going into the wrong door and she kept having to do the same scene over and over again, it was like, in my opinion, like equal parts funny and just so sad at the same time.
1: Totally. And yeah, you, you I mentioned I just, this earlier that um that she uh it's 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 kind of obviously it's it's maybe a bummer to like not win an oscar but when the people who care about film um mm-hmm. say like this should have been yours you should have won like that's that it feels like that's kind of an award in its own right really so maybe she didn't win but in a way she she came out on top i i completely agree and that being said though i mean she
0: she did win like every other accolade uh, so uh, yeah, for this role fine. specifically so she's she's fine um Okay, well, that is the end of another episode of Best Actress. Guys, you can check us out every two weeks. We have new episodes that come out on Thursday. Uh, Write us an iTunes review because uh, it's very nice for you to do that and it boosts our uh, presence on iTunes podcast. Um, Dan, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode and uh, hopefully you'll come back for another
1: one. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, bye everybody. Bye. Bye.